You know, James, I like this guy. I can't wait. We were pondering on this at the men's breakfast yesterday. Will we see everyone we've been reading about in the scripture when we get to heaven? Will we see James? We studied Joshua yesterday. It's like, I can't wait to meet these men. Just to have a conversation with them. Wouldn't that be great? And so one of the guys says, well, we have time. Well, we'll have eternity. I think there'll be a lot of time we'll get around and we'll get to meet one of them at someone at some point in our journey. But James, the half-brother of Jesus, one of the early, earliest leaders in the church, and is speaking to these new believers. And again, most of the church was consisting of uh, the Hebrew, the Jewish nation that were born again. And then during this time, you have to understand, as we've been reading through with James, again, you know that's my favorite book. It's my favorite. You know this is my favorite book. That he does not mess around. He's been, his whole life has known Jesus. You know, they broke Pop-Tarts together during when they were growing up. They were, they were fighting over the bowl of cereal, you know. There were some times where they were just, just them playing and learning and growing. And all of this did not make sense to him until after the resurrection. And then you see this man is on fire. On fire to share the truth. And he does not, when you're on fire, you do not hold back the truths of God. Now remember, James is writing to this, this letter, this epistle to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. We see that in James chapter 1, verse 1. And he continues his attack on self-centered um, people who are saying they know of God. They know who God is. They had this peripheral things. They started well with God and then backed off and really going back to the old religiosity or legalism and or going back to the old life and the struggles, all that. We've seen this in, in James, the first four chapters. And he was speaking to the believers, but he was also speaking to non-believers as well. And today there's no different. As he finishes his letter here to the church, He's going to focus in this attack on his, his emphasis on the self-centered merchants who seem to profit on their hoarding of wealth. And so James, we'll see in chapter 5, is broken into a few parts. Today we're going to talk about his emphasis. Where's your priorities as a believer when it comes to what God has blessed you with in regards to wealth? What is your priorities and how are you using those resources for God's glory or for your own? We'll see that in verses 1 through 6 today and that's all we'll take. Next week, Lord willing, we'll see patience being addressed verses 7 through 12, prayer verses 13 through 18, and then lastly, we will take personal concern in verses 19 and 20, and we will be completed with the book of James. So James here picks back up, not only in chapter 4, but he also really picks up on the theme from chapter 2, if you were with us. In chapter 2 and here in 5, attempts to do what his half-brother had done when he, Jesus, cleansed the temple as he cleanses the house concerning wealthy people who had their priorities wrong and were abusing the wealth that they were receiving. So let's read here in James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, and then we'll break it down apart here. Come now, you rich. 
Weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupt and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded and the corrosions will be... the. The corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which which you kept back by fraud, cry out. And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth, or the Lord of Host is another term there. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and you have murdered the just. He does not resist you. Father, again, we thank you as we open your word. Just speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. See, James was experiencing, he would not have addressed this in his letter. It's a small letter. He wouldn't have addressed this issue unless it was so prominent in those moments, in those days in the church, that the people who had the wealth was using this and their power to abuse those who had nothing. Back in those days, it was very segregated and very separated in many times by class of of people. And the wealthy never interacted with the unwealthy. The Gentiles never interacted with the Jews. There was so much of that happening. There was no middle class back in those days. There are those, those who have and those who have not. So picture yourself in those days where you were coming from and you experienced and you hear the the voice of God speaking. You've turned your life over to Jesus. You're a wealthy man. You're a wealthy family. And all of a sudden now you're following Jesus and you want to know who he is. And you say, oh, these people are gathering over here. They all know Jesus. Let's go there and let's start understanding what this means to have a relationship with the Savior of the world. And now you're commingling with those who have nothing, who are on the streets. They're beggars. This is all new in the, in the culture there. And you have to understand, this is their mindset. And this is the early church. This wasn't a church where you see today where people sit there and go, I'm only going to go to that church because that's the rich church. And we're going to go over here because that's the inner city church. And, and that is ungodly. <laughs> that is not the way we should be thinking. But that's what you can choose today. I don't like that church because they don't, they don't have good coffee. you know. And we'll go over here because they offer a lot more of these kinds of things. And they're more like-minded people. The business people go over here and the unbusiness people go over. No, they should not be. So the early church was starting to try to form and starting to try to intermingle and to support and encourage one another. Why? Because their faith was on who? Jesus Christ. But here, my brothers and sisters, here's the challenge of that day and still the challenge of the day today. Do you keep your eyes on Jesus? Or do you revert back to the old ways, the worldly ways, the fleshly ways? That was the struggle. So obviously this was happening in the new church that was forming and James is not going to miss around here. 
Do you think he was worried about the people who had money who may not be giving to the church? And so we're going to be a really soft kind of conversation today at church today. No, 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 no. He's going to address the issues that was causing disunity in the body of Christ. He was going to cause and, and bring to light how you're supposed to think differently now as you follow Jesus. So when the wealthy can fall into this trap that he's saying here, your priorities can be off. And if you have the wealth that God has provided to you, can, you can fall into a trap of thinking that they had it all made. There's no worries for me. I can just go buy it. I can just go hire someone. I can, go, I can do whatever it takes. Oh, and how quickly we're reminded when we have that set of mind. You may think you have it all made because you have all the wealth and power and position and titles. No worries like the rest of the world worries because of their wealth. But God thought otherwise. Why? Because we know that God is the one that gives James here these words to be written down and to be spoken to the people then and to the people today. James does not say it was a sin to be rich, not whatsoever in the scripture. But he has harsh words here for those both believers and unbelievers that he's been writing to through the scripture who were playing church and not living as a mature Christian. Remember, the theme of the, the, the book here of, of James is growing and maturing as Christians. It's not just those who were, uh, you know, who were just the Jews or just the Gentiles or those who were poor, or those who were rich. It's We're one. And we're all to grow and mature spiritually. And if, if anything that hinders, don't get me wrong, people who are poor think about money many times more than people who have money. So you can get into a trap if you don't have anything and cause a lot of other issues that we see in the scripture and are always addressed. But here he starts off by, in chapter 5 here, he says, come now. He's saying, listen here. You've got you to focus with me here. You rich, I'm talking to you right now in this letter I'm writing. Weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Because James had developed the idea of the need for complete dependence in chapter 4, as you remember. Complete dependence, regardless of who you are, we must have this complete dependence on God. And so he naturally is writing here to those who most likely to live independently from God, the rich. Why? Because that has a tendency, in, and we see in the scripture, as a concern for those of us who might have been blessed with resources. That you can have a tendency to be, not completely depend upon God in your daily life. Because you have all the resources to you. And if it's not you, then you have someone else that you could probably get to do. But in the style of the Old Testament prophet, James tells the rich to mourn in consideration of their destiny. You're on a track, he's saying, based on what you're doing, the miseries that are coming upon you. They're coming. He's warning them. You need to get back with Jesus. You need to keep focus on the Lord. Don't let these riches be a deterrence from you to following the Lord. Because Jesus counted some rich persons as his followers, as believers. So it's not like he says, oh, none of the rich are part of Jesus. No. Zacharias, Joseph of Arimathea, 
Barnabas. There goes on Abraham. These were very wealthy men that God had blessed with resources. And, and they loved God and they used those resources for God's kingdom. To bring God's glory. We are compelled to observe that riches do present an additional significant obstacle to the kingdom. And I love the word because it doesn't matter where you fall in the spectrum of what your issues are. God always shows us what is not good about it, but also if you follow him, how great that can be for the kingdom. And it's always left to you and I which path you're going to choose. Are you going to do it for God with whatever he's given you and the talents and abilities or the wealth or the skills or whatever he's given you? Are you going to use it for God or are you not? It's our choice if we're going to do it or not. Again, James is not declaring wealth is a sin. It is what you do with the wealth that becomes a sin. Be an Abraham. He was given tremendous wealth. But it always brought honor and glory and pleased God with that wealth. Always. We don't see it in scripture where it did not. He didn't use it against, in some ways, against God. Jesus gives a stark warning to them. And, and again, this is again, James really is following through the same, the same thought here. But Jesus himself warns those who have resources in Matthew chapter 19, verses 23 and 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Assuredly, I say to you that it is harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. That must have kind of thrown them a little bit. But then again, we also know in 1 Timothy 6.10, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith. That's the emphasis, right? These things, these worldly things can cause you to stray from the faith in their greediness and pierce themselves through many sorrows. So it is also true that the pursuit of riches is a motivation for every conceivable sin. We see also Jesus pronounces some woes. And anytime you're reading the scripture and you see woe, the word woe, that is means you better take note because that is a serious point that Jesus is making. And it says in Luke 6, 24, 25, But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full, for you shall hunger. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. So now you can see where James is even coming from that same thing. You may think everything's great in your life and everything's lined up and it's perfect and you've achieved great things. But just don't forget, it's because God allowed that. That God is is working and through and blessing you in that way with the ability of working hard and your skill sets and the skills and the abilities and knowledge and whatever it may be that is contributing to that success, we call. Just don't take your eyes off of Jesus before that. Because if you do, it will lead to what? He says, weep and howl. It's a form of back of mourning of, oh, I've just lost everything. I've lost everything. Because apart from Jesus, you have lost everything. 
Luke 12, 21 says, So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God? We have to make sure it's always toward God. It is that growing and maturing. And he continues here in his, as James describes to us the consequences of abusing the wealth. He says in verse 2, your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. In the first part of verse 3, and your gold and your silver are corroded. See, in the life to come, their riches will be revealed as corrupted and moth-eaten and corroded. Why? Because all that they were given was not for God's glory and purpose. It was just for themselves. Every man for themselves. If everyone did what I did, then you can have what I have. And that's a mentality that we have to be very careful of because we have to always go back to the source of how did we receive. Well, we see here in the scriptures, these, these wealthy merchants were not doing it God's way. He's saying to them, your riches, the grain that you've gotten, the vines that are producing, the produce that is over there, it's just going to rot. You have to understand that. It's going to rot. It's corrupted. The garments you wear, the fine apparel, I don't care how great that is and 100% cotton and all the silk and all these things that you can afford. I'm telling you right now, because you do not do it God's way, it's just going to be moth-eaten. The gold, the silver, it's going to corrode. It's, going to, it's just going to rust. It's going to darken. It's going to tarnish. It's not. All of those terms, what he's saying is, there is the value of what you put as so much value in your life today, of what you have, will come to no value. Because apart from God, there is no value. But what God gives you in resources and you use it for his kingdom becomes great value for eternity. See, that's the difference between a worldly perspective and an eternity perspective. You know, it's interesting. Nothing material in this world will last forever. It will lose its, its value, and it is a great mistake to think there is security in wealth. Do you think Jobs, who started Apple could care less at the end of his life of all the tremendous wealth he had when he had cancer and he could not solve that with one bit of the money. Do you not know, if you ever read his book and read it back, how much he spent on every form of reaching anyone in this world who could save him from dying from that cancer and nothing could save him? Did he take the apple wealth with him? There was no value whatsoever to him. There was no security for him once he was diagnosed. Apart from God, nothing. Paul instructs the same point in 1 Timothy 6.17 when he says, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty. Don't be proud about it nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. 
Why does he bless us with these things? Because he wants us to enjoy them. But don't get proud about it. Don't make, put your security in it. Because it can be gone in, a, in just a moment's time. Your health can change in a moment's time and lose everything. Understand, riches are uncertain. They're not certain. The stock market changes by the minute. The money market changes by the minute. Wars can just happen and all of a sudden everything is wiped out in the economy. A pestilence can come along and shut down the entire world. How important it is to understand that James is trying to let them know. Please, as you're coming into the fellowship, please keep the things that God has blessed you with in perspective. Don't be so proud. Don't use it against other people. Use it for God's kingdom and his glory. Remember, and James said it earlier in chapter 4, verse 14, the fact that life is just a vapor. And we cannot take wealth with us and you can see how foolish it is to live for the things of the world and all of a sudden realize it's just a vapor. It can disappear very quickly. See, God said to the rich man, if you remember in Luke 12, 20, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you then those will, and whose those will, things which will have been provided. If you remember, he was just being blessed and blessed and blessed and tearing down barns and building bigger barns and bigger things to store up, store up, store up for himself. But his soul was to be taken, never to enjoy it. James describes here also at the end of part of verse 3 the impact on our character because when you're abusing wealth, it will impact your character, who you are internally. He says there, and their corrosions will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. These are strong words that James is using. These are not simple, you know, nice, loving words here he's really making sure it's a clear because he said the abuse of wealth erodes the character of a man it is bad enough to gain wealth in a sinful way that's one thing but to use that wealth in sinful ways makes just makes the sin even greater money is just a neutral object a thing but the warning is so important for us because so many of us have pursued wealth and continue to pursue wealth. We, we don't want to look, none of us wants to look to be poor. But what is our mindset in regards to that pursuit? Some have achieved it, some have not. But the, still the same point is, what is your character? What, how do you handle that pursuit? Because in 1 Timothy chapter 6, in the first part of verse 10, says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, like we said, but you shall not covet. In the Ten Commandments, the last Ten Commandments, the Tenth Commandment says, Do not covet. Why? Because that right there is the root in that covetousness that can happen and put into a person's mind that will cause you to break all the other Ten Commandments. 
Go back and study the Ten Commandments. Look at the last one about covetousness and then look back and see how the rippling effect that can have, you could actually break all nine. Abraham was given wealth, but he did it in a way that never compromised and he maintained his faith in God and he did not change his character away from God. But he has now Lot right there watching his life and he chooses a different path. He chooses to take that money and it actually corrupted him. It caused him to compromise, to go places he should never have gone and, and hung out with the people he should not have been hanging out with in the middle of the city of these corrupt people. He, Lot was again rich, but it ruined his character and ultimately it ruined the family. So I'm always warning men, be careful what you're pursuing. Because if you get it, you might ruin your family. Be very wise in the decisions of what you're pursuing. Oh, don't get me wrong. Us men are so good at creating uh, uh, <laughs> castles in the sky and, and dreams and visions of what we want to do. We have, or we're good at that. Ladies, just be patient. Let us have our little dream castles that we're creating. Just let us have it, okay? If you haven't learned that, just let us have our little dreams and our building our castles and what we're going to pursue and we're going to become an astronaut. You're, 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 Corey, you're not going to get accepted into the astronaut program. Right? Ladies, you don't have to say that to him. Just let him have his little dreams and keep praying for him. And he then, the Lord will bring him to what he wants to be in God's will. But when it comes to creating, I'm going to be rich, I want to be wealthy, please do it God's way. Don't do it the world's way. And this is what the problem is that James is writing to these guys because they were doing it the worldly way. They were doing it in their old way. Now they're Christians in a church and they're supposed to do it God's way and they're still going back and doing it the worldly way. That's the struggle and the transformation that needs to take place in one's heart. True, it is good to have riches in your hands provided that they do not get into your heart. Psalm 62 in the first part of 10 tells us if riches increase, do not set your heart on them. Because if you set your heart on them, it will destroy you. Note that the, the witnesses that we see in these verses that will actually become a witness in the court of law again in the point of judgment against the rich people who are abusing wealth. Look at, the, look at the witnesses. The very first one is the wealth itself. The wealth of these rich men will witness against them in verse 3. The, the rotting of the, of the grain and the, the vineyards and all the resources they have, they're just going to be an example that they were not used for God and they become an actual witness against their character and their heart of what the God, you did with God's resources. The rust of the gold and the silver will bear witness of the selfishness of their hearts if they take their eyes and heart off of the Savior. It's kind of a, an irony, is it not? The irony here is the wealthy man was saving all this wealth, hoarding it up, 
saving and putting in big whatever he can to get as much as he can, accumulate all the stuff. Why? Because he thought that would give him safety, that would give him security, that would give him prominence, that would give him prestige, whatever, that selfish fulfillment that he was pursuing. But it's actually all the stuff that he receives and all the hoarding actually will now turn out to be a witness against him during judgment. Because he didn't do it God's way. You have heaped up treasures in the last days. That tells you that James, even when he wrote this, believed that Jesus was coming back soon and he was warning them, it's the last days. The, my my half-brother's coming back. Jesus the Savior is coming back. He was warning them, don't live like this. Use all the resources that God's given you. Use it for the kingdom. Use it to share. Don't just hoard it up for yourself. And so many times, people in this around this conversation says to, well, pastor, are you telling me I shouldn't be saving money? No, it doesn't say that at all. You should be saving money. Be wise what you have. We see it in the scripture. How about investing? Yes, you should be investing. We see that in the scripture. That's not what it's saying here. It is not wrong to store up wealth when you owe money to your employees. Then it becomes the problem. You're not paying your employees, you're storing it up for yourself and taking mostly, there's the problem that was causing. You're not paying your bills and you're trying to store it up yourself and keep yourself. There's the problem, you're supposed to be good stewards of the money. Instead of laying up treasures in heaven by using their wealth for God's glory in Matthew 6.19, they were selfishly guarding it for their own security and for their own pleasure, as James says here. But it's interesting, if you know when this letter was written, and he's warning all these wealthy people, be very careful, you guys are not doing it right, you're really not doing it God's way, and it's not going to last. Ten years later, after this letter was written, guess what happened? The Romans came in and destroyed Jerusalem, and all their wealth was taken. In ten years from the time this was written. Time is short. We must buy up the opportunity. We see that in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 and 17. See that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. How important. It's good to have things that money can buy. That's not a bad thing. Provided you also have the things that money cannot buy. Oh, how many times have you known where someone is a pursued to have a house? Got a house, not content, like you need a bigger house. Then we need a bigger house. Then we need a bigger house. But what's the value of a very wealthy, expensive, big, huge house that you've always dreamt of when it's not even a home? It's just a house oh ladies oh I can't wait to have the huge diamond on the finger oh it's a beautiful huge diamond oh the... 
What value is it if there's not love attached to that? See, you can accumulate things, but the question is, is there value? Is it what is good and right, a value attached to that? James did not condemn riches or rich people here. He condemned the wrong use of the riches and rich people who use their wealth as a weapon and not as a tool which to build and to share in the kingdom. So when we yield to God's will and use what he gives us to serve him, then Things happen or become treasures, and we are investing in eternity. I find that most people don't understand what it means to invest in eternity. I believe this is one of the passages so important to teach, because what we do on earth is recorded in heaven. Did you know that? Every little thing, every thought, every decision is recorded in heaven. And God keeps the books and pays the interests. But what tragedy it is to see people heap up treasures for the last days instead of laying up treasures in heaven. Remember, the Bible does not discourage savings, does not discourage investing. It doesn't do that. It just condemns hoarding and using the money to abuse others. That's the warning. James here in verse 4 continues in describing to us certain judgments on those who are abusing wealth. He says, Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of the Sabbath which is the Lord of, of hosts. See, they had withheld the wages from the laborers. James must have gotten word as a leader within the church that, hey, that's my boss over there, and yes, I work for him, and he's doing this. He's not paying me. I did all the work, but he's not paying me. He doesn't think he needs to pay me now or hasn't been paying me. And now he's coming to the church and he's wealthy and stuff. And uh, James, what are you going to do about it? Pastor, what are you going to help me in this situation? I believe this is why the letter is written. Because James is now, as a pastor, is dealing with the issue at hand. What's coming on is a blending of the poor and the rich. And the blending of the, those who are just now coming into the faith and into the church. He's saying to them, the wages of the laborers that are mowing your fields... You've been frauding them. You've been not paying them. And in the Old Testament, God made very clear commandments of how you are to pay to the people at those days. We see it in Deuteronomy 24, verses 14 and 15. You shall not oppress a hired servant who is poor and needy, whether one of your brethren, notice brethren, that means they're your brothers here, brethren, or one of the aliens, or someone who is a non-believer outside of the area, who is in your land within your gates. 
Each day you shall give him his wages and not let the sun go down on it, for he is poor and has set his heart on it, lest the cry out against you to the Lord and it be sin to you. We see that same commandment in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 13. So James is saying, if you don't know this, I'm going to tell you. If you fraud people and you get them to do work for you and then you turn around and you want to hoard in your money and keep your money because you're stingy with your money and all these things, you're not willing to pay the man his fair share of what it should have been agreed upon to work the land for you. Their cries, the Lord hears. Do you understand that, James says? Do you understand the severity of this? You can sit there and say, oh, cry all you want. You're going to come back and I'll maybe give you a little trinkles here and there just to keep you going or I'll find someone else because the laborers are dime a dozen. They're going to come and look for money, but I'm not going to pay them anyway. It's fraud. And James says, the Lord hears them. You're going to have to face that judgment of the Lord. You may think you're getting away with it, but you're not. The reapers who are out there harvesting and reaping the, the vines and the, the, the grapes and stuff have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. So we see two more witnesses at your trial, at your judgment. The second one it was the, the wages that they held back will also witness against them in court. You know why? Because money speaks. <laughs> Money speaks. Those stolen salaries cry out to God for justice and judgment. That's how God sees it. God heard Abel, Abel's blood in the ground, did he not? We see that in Genesis 4.10, that Abel's blood cried out from the ground, and God hears those stolen money as well cry out to him. And the third witness is the workers themselves will also testify against those who fraud them. There'll be no opportunities when judgment comes for the rich to bribe the witnesses or the judge. But God hears the cries of his oppressed people and he will judge rightly. The Bible does not discourage acquiring wealth. Let me say that one more time. In the law of Moses, Moses actually specifically gave rules how to lay down of actually acquiring and securing wealth. So it's not like you were not, not to have that, and you should never condemn that, but you just do it God's way. The Jews in the Canaan owned their own property, worked their property, and benefited from the produce. That is how God designed it. Jesus in several of his parables actually indicated that he respected people who personally owned property and privately gained from the profits of working that land. Nowhere in the epistles, you can go anywhere in the epistles, you will not find anything contradicting the right for private ownership and profit. What the Bible does condemn is acquiring wealth by an illegal means and for illegal purposes. That is what the word condemns. Remember, the judgment is a serious thing. 
the lost, the unsaved, when they die, they are going to meet a judgment. They're going to stand before Christ at the great white throne. We see that in Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15, and be cast out. But what happens to a believer? Well, we see that the saved will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We see that noted in Romans 14, verses 10 through 12, and 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 9 through 10. But understand as a believer that God will not judge our sins because they have already been judged on the cross. But he will judge our works and our ministry of what we did for him as a believer. That is what's going to be under the microscope. That's what the books are opening up. Not the sins, but what did you do with everything I've done in and for you? It was, if we have been faithful in serving and glorifying God, He will reward us. That's our promise in the scripture. If we have been unfaithful, He will lose or we will lose that reward not our salvation, we will lose our reward of what God intended to want to bless you with. We see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1-15. through 15. So James, he's speaking to the rich. Be it the believers or non-believers or ones who think they're believers and they're acting like believers, but they're just churchgoers and they're really not born again. He was speaking to everyone at that point in time, I believe. And he's saying... Understand that you're not in control. You don't know everything. You're not as secure as you think you are because of your wealth. And not everyone's going to beckon to your call as much as you think. Understand, when you fraud people and you cheat people and you illegally acquire wealth and then you illegally use that wealth, understand. I can see the heart of the pastor. James say, I want you to understand this because you don't understand what you're doing here when you do these to people. God hears their cries. And there is a day of judgment coming. And it will be rectified. Would you rather as a believer not be rewarded for all the things that brings glory and honor to God while you're living on this, on this earth and, and be rewarded for eternity? Just use what I'm giving you because if you're faithful with the small things, I'll be, I'll be giving you more things because I know you're going to use it for my kingdom, for my, to bless me. I will always provide and equip and do through my people who bring honor to me. So he sits here and he finishes here in verses 5 and 6. Is you have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury and you have fattened your hearts as in the day of slaughter. See, this is what he was trying to get to. You've taken everything, you've, all the wealth, and you've done it in a way that you should have never done it. You frauded people, you were cheating people, you weren't paying people, you were hiding people. You were just doing it. Why? Because the heart is revealed. James understood the heart right there. He says, you're just living on the earth in pleasure and luxury. That's, your, that's the heart mindset right there that's causing all this problem. 
Luxury is a waste. It's a, it's, waste is sin. James is saying you have lived a high lifestyle on this earth, but you're doing it in such a way of going against God. It is just an absolute waste to you, and you don't even know it. All of us are grateful for the good things of life. Does anyone here want to go back to the primitive life? Living in the, in the cutout and living in some mountainside? With nothing? I know many, many around here want to go back to the pioneer days and think that's just perfect. No electricity. <laughs> no plumbing. Try an outhouse and then let me know. <laughs> we'll have the outhouse, but can't we have plumbing within the outhouse? Because it's kind of the end thing to have these days, right? No. But we must recognize the fact that there is a point of diminishing return. Jesus said in Luke 12, 15, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. I think it really says it all right there, does it not? He says, you're sitting there just feeding yourself and feeding yourself of all the pleasures and luxuries of life. And that is just like the Greek word here that he's, he's bringing across, the, the Greek word of, of uh, you're just fattening up the cattle waiting for it to go to the slaughter. <laughs> That's a nice way of saying it, James. You fatten yourself up, but man, you're just going to the slaughter. You know, wow, he was, he was not loving on... Uh, <laughs> being sensitive, I guess, for some people. But understand what he's trying to tell the people, being so blunt here, luxury has a way of ruining your character. It's a form of self-indulgence, and that is going to hurt you. If you can match character with wealth, you can produce a good and right and pleasing life to God. You can take this wealth that God has blessed you with, with a godly character, that is the perfect match to please and be used by God. But if they don't, then if self-indulgence will actually corrupt your character and it will result in sin. He kind of said that, and Jesus described the rich man in Luke 16, verses 19 through 23. There was a certain rich man, if you remember, who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared scumptuously every day. That man is what and who James was writing to. Be very careful. And then lastly, you have condemned, you have murdered the just. And he does not resist you. So here in this verse, last verse, often those who are poor and without power in this world have little satisfaction from justice. They just don't have the, the ability to fight back. James asks in James chapter 2, verse 6, Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Yes, that's exactly what happens many times. The abusing of wealth they had condemned and murdered from their position of power. And James says that cannot be. Because you have power, because you have wealth. You cannot, because what you're doing is you're actually condemning and murdering a just man. Who's trying to make a living. And God hears the cries. 
So the question is, James is telling us, what is your priority? Are you going to take what you have and use it for God's glory, or are you going to take it for self-indulgence? Are you going to use it for God's, allow God's power to work in and through you to do great things for God, or are you going to take that power and destroy the lives of others? You have that choice. The Bible warns us against the security of wealth by illegal means, for sure. God owns all wealth. Did you know that? We see that noted in Psalm uh, chapter 50, verse 10. God owns all wealth. He permits us to be stewards of his wealth for his glory. That's how it is. And you have to keep that straight in your mind. Proverbs 13, 11 says, Wealth gained by dishonesty will be diminished, but he who gathers by labor will increase. Oh, the mindset that's in this world today that I don't have to work. Just give me, someone give me someone else's wealth. That mindset is completely against the word of God. So if you're listening to my words right now and the days to come and you think as a believer that you think someone else should give you money without laboring, you're not in line with the scripture. You must labor. Proverbs 10.4, he who has a slack hand becomes poor, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Start being diligent, man. Do hard things. Ask what the, what the will of God is and what he wants you to do and go do it. Let him show himself in and working through your life and blessing you. A believer who seeks spiritual growth dare not become caught up in the accumulation of wealth for himself. He should share his possessions for God's glory and the good of others. That is the mindset of God. We must put God first. We must mature as a Christian. We must, God will see to it that we will always have our needs met. He, that's our promise for him, from him. So don't worry about the things. We see that in my, one of my favorite verses is Matthew 6.33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things will be added unto you. My, I challenge you today, do you believe that? Do you believe you can live a good and honest and praiseworthy life and God will meet all your needs? Yes, it's true. But the question is, will you take that step of faith and believe it now as a Christian? That you will no longer do it your old business way. You will now do it God's way in business. There's, it, there is a difference. There's a difference. 